Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Greetings and thank you, thank you, thank you again for joining us on the program and for your very kind words, cards, and letters. Uh, uh, the, the response has been overwhelmingly positive as we've continued to break new ground in unpacking and uh, sharing the book of Revelation. Uh, for the last two segments, we have shared about the beast in the book of Revelation, and we have uh, showed you in the last two uh, the lowest common denominator that this beast, whoever he is, gets his power and his authority from that ancient serpent, the dragon, called the devil in chapter 12 of the book of Revelation. So uh, whoever he is, he's empowered by demonic activity. For the last two segments, we showed you the lowest common denominator. We showed you how that Satan works through the fallenness of human nature, the man of dust, and how that Adam was a man who was a six in his spirit, a six in his soul, and a six in his body. He was fallen man. In the new covenant, you and I are not a six, six, six. We are a seven, seven, seven. We have been, according to Hebrews perfected forever by the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So we've been restored to the place from where Adam fell, and as a result, we are now inhabitants of the heavens. Rejoice, you heavens, and you that dwell in them, but woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. I want to start in this segment by trying to show you how this was personified and embodied in the, uh, in, in the beast of Rome with Nero as being uh, it's, it's, uh, it, Nero being the one who fits the picture so very, very clearly and so very, to me, uh, so very clearly. Uh, let me just read to you, if I can, uh, from the book of Revelation, and uh, I, I want to um, read from the 13th chapter. It says, I stood upon the sand of the sea, I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. Now we dealt with, uh, in the last segment, the last two segments, how that the sea, first of all, spoke of uh, the abyss. It was, it, the word sea is translated several places as abyss, pit, uh, when, when in, in the book of, uh, I believe it is in the book of Deuteronomy, where it talks about who will go across the sea. That is, to bring the words of this law that we may hear it and do it, is the same word that is translated in Romans, the 10th chapter, where Jesus or Paul gets a hold of that and said, who will go down into the deep? So the word deep and the word sea, Paul is making a direct quote from the book of Deuteronomy there, when he said, who will uh, go across the sea, that is to bring the words of this law to us, that we may hear it and do it. And then he goes on to say, for the word is not thee in your mouth, even the words of this law. But in the book of Romans, it says, who will descend into the deep? That is to bring up Christ again from the dead. Now in the old covenant, they're going across the sea to get the law and the words of the law to hear it and do it. But in Romans, it, 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 it distinctly replaces the words of the law with Jesus having gone down into the depth of the sea or into the depth, or if you will, the abyss. 
So Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection has defeated all principalities and powers. And when he was delivered, he was delivered for our offenses. But when he was raised, he was raised for our justification. And it goes on to say, who will, who will go down into the deep? That is again to bring up Christ from the dead. For the word of God, then he goes on to say, is not the even in your mouth, the word of faith that we preach. So he replaces it in the book of Romans, an exact quote from the book of Deuteronomy. Everything that is law in the old covenant in Romans chapter 10 is replaced with Jesus. So he goes down not to bring the words of this law, but to bring up Christ again from the dead, because what he does is justifies us, reconciles us, sets us in right standing with God, so that the word that's in our mouth is no longer the words of this law, but it is the word of faith that we preach, that with the heart man believes unto salvation, uh, but with, uh, uh, or, uh, with the mouth confession is made. So when I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. So we dealt with how that was a one aspect. Listen, one aspect of fulfillment of what I'm sharing. Now, the second thing I want to show you is that how that this beast is a sea beast in the book of Revelation and that he comes from the sea. Now, I'm going to show you several things about the sea beast, but one of the things is that he would have appeared to come up out. Number one, his influence is from the enemy. Again, he is He's receiving his power from the dragon, and he's you know, the, the, the smoke ascending out of this bottomless pit is what's clouding the sky. And it, you know, it's it's, it's interesting to me uh, that uh, uh, you know, in other words, a sea was you could see the Egyptian army coming down into the sea. You could see, uh, if you will, I believe it is in the ninth chapter of the book of Revelation, there are locusts, and they come up out of the abyss. But if you go back to the book of Exodus, when they came, when the locusts came on the earth, when God got ready to get rid of the locusts, he cast them into the sea. So they are either coming or they are going. But in the case of the 13th chapter, what's coming up out of the sea, out of this, if you will, uh, deep, out of this abyss, out of the fallenness of, of the totality of human fallenness, this beast is coming up out of a sea. That's one aspect of it. Secondly, they are physically seeming to these apostate Jews as if they are coming up out of the sea because they are crossing over from Rome and they are coming over from, if you would be like uh, Italy and Rome and all of that, and they are crossing over into invade the lands of the children of Israel. Now, I want to bring it to a more historic fulfillment in this segment. If you look at, uh, I believe it is uh, the 17th chapter of the book of Revelation, uh, let, let me let me turn there. Let me let me see if I can find it very quickly for you. Re, Re, Revelation, the seventeenth chapter. It talks about this woman who who rides a scarlet collar beast. We'll talk about the woman in in later segments. There's just so much here to unpack. It says verse number. It says. In verse number eight, the beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. When they beheld the beast that was and is not and yet is, here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. 
Here's the, here's the key that helps me figure out who this specifically is, who this, who this uh, beast is. And see, I, I, a lot of times I, I interchange the terms too because I've been so used to hearing people say, well, the Antichrist is, uh, is, is Nero. Actually, the Antichrist is not mentioned in the book of Re- Revelation. The Antichrist is only mentioned, I believe, in the book of, uh, of the epistles of John where he's a little children. We know that is the last time because Antichrist is already on the scene. The beast of Revelation is a totally different than the Antichrist. And I know people say, well, there's a coming Antichrist. John says the Antichrist was already on the scene during his period of time. This is not about Antichrist. This is about a beast. So we're talking about the mark of the beast and the number of his name. And so this is what's going to give us insight. It said, here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits, and there are seven kings. Five are fallen, and one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth, and is of the seven, and goeth into perdition. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind, and shall give their power and strength under the beast, and these shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. Now, let me just tell you that when you go back and you look at the whole procession of Roman armies, or not Roman armies, uh, the whole procession of Roman rulers, one of the things that I saw was that it said five have fallen. What I, what I did was I began to look back at some of these uh, kings and I began to realize that uh, if you go back, the five that have fallen are first of all, number one, Julius Caesar was the first uh, king who had fallen and he reigned from 49 to 44 BC. Now this is the reign of these final kings that Daniel talks about. This beast that Daniel talks about and we'll compare them when we get just a little bit more time here in the program. But I want to bring the significance of this first. But these, these, uh, these kings, the first one that, that ruled in Rome was Julius Caesar from 49 to 44 BC before Christ. The second one, this is number two, if you're taking notes, and I'm going to take my time so you can write this down if you want was Augustus from 27 BC to AD 14. This was the king, King Augustus or Caesar Augustus, that was in power when Jesus was born. And there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. He reigned from 27 BC to AD 14. He was the second king. The third one was Tiberius, and he reigned from AD 14 to A.D. 37. I I trust that these numbers don't bore you, but they're important. The fourth king who would rise would be Caligula, and he reigned from A.D. 37 to A.D. 41. He was the fourth king. The fifth one was Claudius Claudius Caesar, and he reigned from A.D. 41 to A.D. 54. Nero was the number six king. See, when five had fallen, that also gives me internal evidence again that the writing of the book of Revelation had to be sometime during this period of time when this five kings had fallen, 
there were five who have fallen, he said, and one, let me, let me see if I can get, find this again. Uh, one, uh, the one is, was Nero. So the one who was in power during this period of time was Nero, and the other has not yet come, and when he does, he must can remain for only a little while. The seventh king that was to come would be Galba, and he reigned from A.D. 68 in January to A.D. 69. He only had a six-month rulership. Of the first seven kings of the Roman Empire, five had come. Julius Caesar, Augustus, Tiberius, Gaius, and Claudius. One now was in power, which was Nero, and one had not yet come, Galba, but would only remain a little time, and he remained six months. The vast majority of church, uh, throughout church history, have understood that the beast in Revelation 17 is referring to Nero. And I saw a beast come up out of the sea. Let me read to you some of these things from my notes. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshiped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshiped the beast, saying, who's like the beast and who can make war with him? That's Revelation 13. But based on what we've seen in Revelation 17, that, that Nero fits the timeline as the sixth of the seven heads of the beast of Revelation 13, and that Galba is the one to come and shall only remain a little while. It is well accepted by historians and scholars that Rome was in a way wounded and faltering as an empire because of Nero. And it was recorded in the records, of, uh, it is written in the records that Nero was a psychopath. I, listen to some of this stuff. He, 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 as he burned down one third of Rome, he put the blame on Christians and that's when he turned to, he, he himself had set on fire uh, uh, one third of Rome and blamed it on the Christians. So they started persecuting the Christians and trying to kill the Christians when in fact it was actually this psychopath named Nero who was the one who was, during this period of time, five had fallen, he was the one who is, and uh, he burned down uh, uh, and blamed it on the Christians and per persecuted them brutally. But also when Nero killed himself in AD 68, the political climate of, Roman ch of Rome changed dramatically and was unstable temporarily. That's why it was considered to have had a fatal, or as it were, a deadly wound, and it was healed. But one of the major changes was that Nero was officially the last of the Julio-Claudian dynasty. He was the last of the line of emperors under Julian-Claudian. Thus the line ended, and it would have seemed symbolically as if the head of the empire had been wounded to death. He was the last of that empire. Nero's sudden death caused an event that has been historically called the year of the four emperors because of a tumult caused by his suicide, three short-lived emperors, follow Nero, which goes in coincidence and fits perfectly with uh, horns being plucked up that you read about one is and, and uh, another one arises in a small horn. All of them fit perfectly with this description. Nero's sudden death caused an event that has been historically called the year of the four emperors because of tumult, because by his suicide, three short-lived emperors followed Nero. Many thought that the Roman Empire would not survive uh, the transition. But here's the timeline of AD 69, the year of the four emperors. So Nero comes. I trust this is not boring you, but it needs to be said. We don't study history, therefore we don't know what happened. 
Nero reigned from A.D. 54 to A.D. 68. After him, Galba came in A.D. 68 and 69. He had a short reign. And then after him, Otho, O-T-H-O, he reigned in A.D. 69. After him, Vitellus reigned from AD, in A.D. 69. And after him, Vespasian reigned for 10 years from A.D. 69 through A.D. And it was under Vespasian that finally the temple was destroyed under the leadership of Titus, uh, his Roman general, and Vespasian finished the job that was begun when the war was inflicted in, uh, during the, the reign of Nero. And what appeared to be a miraculous turnaround, the empire was revived under Vespasian and Titus, from my notes. When they came into power, they established the Flavian dynasty of the Caesars. Instead of the beast dying, it resurrected under Vespasian, and he ruled for a solid 10 years. Nero began his reign as emperor in A.D. 54. His imperial persecution of the Christian community was launched in A.D. 64, the same year as the famous fires which burned the third Rome, and many believe it was set by Nero himself. It is often assumed that the persecution of Christians, whom Nero blamed for the fire, was a diversionary tactic to shift blame for his own actions to others. Nero committed suicide in A.D. 68 when he was but 31 years of age. Mention, many ancient writers mention the bestial character of Nero, and uh, a lot of writers uh, reference this. A beast in my travels, which have been wider than ever man yet accomplished, I have seen many wild beasts of Arabia and India, but this beast that is commonly called a tyrant, I know not how many heads it has, nor if it could be crooked of claw and armed with horrible fangs. And of wild beasts you cannot say that they were ever known to eat their own mother, but Nero has gorged himself on this diet. Nero had his own mother murdered. The beast is not some antichrist or man of lawlessness. The beast was Nero under the Roman, uh, of the Roman Empire. Now, let me also uh, just, let me, let me, let me, let me I know that it, it may be just a little bit dry for me to read from my notes, but uh, uh, let me just, let me, let me read you this. It said, Nero had a statue of himself set up at Agora. Agora was a marketplace where people went to buy and sell food, etc. It would be similar to our shopping center, like going to the mall, going to Walmart or something like that. Once the people would pay their dues and offer the incense to the statue of Nero, the beast, they would take the ashes and mark the hand or the forehead with the ashes so that they could be admitted into the marketplace to buy and sell, knowing that you had paid homage to the statue of the beast. Now, I got to tell you, that's incredible information. You know, when I think about people are saying right now, well, this, this new computer thing is going to put a chip under your hand. Well, let me just say, first of all, that this is only stuff that could preach in first world. Because, uh, you know, and, number one, uh, they wouldn't even know what a chip was. But if, you know, even in first world, it, it, see, that'll only preach in America. You go to the jungles of Africa and you tell them they're going to put a chip under your hand. They're going to tell you what is a chip, what is a computer, and what does that have to do with anything? And the reality of it is, is that it was really something that was relevant to this period of time 
and how that when they would go into the marketplace, they could not be admitted into the marketplace at Agora, except they would put the ashes from where they had um, sacrificed and done homage and, you know, uh, did what you call Caesar worship uh, to this statue of the beast so that they could go in and do business there, which fulfills completely what Revelation 13 says, that no man might buy or sell except you've got the mark of the beast. This ought to be good news to somebody. I can remember when I was a kid being terrified with some of this stuff, thinking, my God, you know, number one, I won't be able to buy milk for the babies. I remember people scaring us with that, and that's why they preach, woe to you or a child, and then they give suck in those days. And I thought, and there are people that I've talked to that have listened to our programs, and they thank me for these programs, saying, listen, I wish I'd have heard this years ago because I only had one child, or I didn't have any children because I didn't want to bring them into a world like this. And the, the, the late, one of the ladies that shared this when they had, had one only son who was in his 50s, and she said, you know what? If I'd have known that, it wouldn't have robbed me of having a family. To me, this is incredible stuff. I mean, it ought to take a lot of fear out of it for you because that was a mark that was given during that time that they wouldn't be able to buy or sell uh, in the marketplaces during that period of time without having the ashes of that symbol put upon their heads. Now, I've already told you in the last segments how it also deals with the carnal mind and, uh, and, and Adam's fallenness. So I'm not going to go back and deal with that. But the, the beast that uh, looked like a lamb and spoke like a dragon was no doubt the false prophet and the religious leaders who also received their power from the Roman beast. The Jewish synagogues, in, uh, in, in their submission to their emperor, uh, indeed, their leader's charge against Christ himself was that uh, he was a rival to all that were embracing the authority of Caesar when they declared, we have no king but Caesar. So the people had entered into the Jewish community and entered into Caesar worship and declared even when they crucified Jesus, we have no king but Caesar. But similarly, the economic, the, the whole religious leaders then begin to, uh, uh, to organize economic boycotts against anybody who refused to submit to Caesar as Lord Leaders of the synagogues forbidding all dealings with and excommunication of those who did not comply and going so far as to put them to death in fulfillment of he causes all to be killed who did not worship the beast, etc. John wrote that the number of the beast is the number of a man's name and his number is 666. This tells us that those who received the mark were actually in allegiance with a man, an actual person of the first century. So who was he? His name was Lucius Demetrius Ahenobarbus, better known as Nero Caesar. John used a puzzle called the Gematra, or the Gematria, in which numbers were used to represent certain letters. John used this puzzle to reveal Nero without actually writing down his name so that the people of Israel or the believers would know who it was without the Roman people knowing that they knew who it was without putting themselves in jeopardy. Remember that the early churches were being persecuted during this time, and not only from the Jews, but also from the, the Romans. The numerical values of the Hebrew letters for Nero Caesar end up being the equivalent of 666. The fact that Nero fits this description is beast as well documented. You could read anybody from R.C. Sproul to Kenneth Gentry to uh, 
the Days of Vengeance with David Shilton to uh, The Perusia by J. Stuart Russell. Uh, I mean, just on and on, it's well documented that he fits the description. And while we keep on waiting on somebody out in our future who fits that description and we manipulate our numbers and number systems, let me tell you the gematria came from the Hebrew and Jewish codes. And what they did was they uh, added the numbers of his name together and discovered and, and to them that the insiders, the believers, they knew that it was Nero Caesar. According to some historians, he murdered his parents. Nero murdered his parents, his wife, his brother, his aunt, many others close to him. He was a torturer. This is historic. He was a homosexual rapist and a sodomite. He even married two young boys and paraded them around as his wives. He would dress up in animal skins, literally as a beast, and tie people to post and then come out like an animal with claws and attack their genitalia, uh, both men and women. I mean, this guy was depraved to the nth degree. One of the boys whose name was Sporus was also castrated by Nero. He was truly bestial in his character and depravity. He devised a kind of a game covered with skin of some wild animal. He was let loose from a cage and attacked the private parts of men and women who were bound at stakes. He also initiated the war against the Jews, which led to the destruction uh, under Nero's persecution, which was initiated in AD 64, was the first ever Roman assault on Christianity. Historian Tacticus spoke of Nero's cruel nature that put to death so many innocent men. I'm just going to read some of my notes. That way you can, uh, I, I can cover a lot more ground. He records the scene in Rome when the persecution of Christians broke out and their death was aggravated with mockeries insomuch that they wrapped his hides and wild beast skins. They were torn to pieces like dogs or fastened to crosses and set on fire. And when the darkness fell, they might burn or illuminate the night. Christians were crucified, beheaded, burned alive, and used as torches to light the palace gardens. Historically, Nero is, one, is the one that persecuted Christians beyond all comparison. St. John's banishment to Patmos, where he wrote the book of Revelation, was a result itself of the great persecutions of Nero. The apostle Paul was tortured and then beheaded by the evil emperor Nero at Rome. Uh, the apostle Peter, who was crucified upside down, was, was another victim of Nero. Uh, the church father Eusebius notes that Nero was the first of the emperors who showed himself an enemy to the divine religion, and he first attempted to abolish the name Christian in his annals. annals. Roman historian Tacticus points to those who were persecuted as those who were vulgarly called Christians. Um, he, he just did so many horrible things uh, that, uh, you know, the degree of his inhumane, the persecution was just so dreadful and almost uncomparable. Uh, we're about to run out of time, but I believe that pretty well sets the stage and tells you that this beast was the Romans who found its personification in Nero. We're about to run out of time. Take a moment to call that number on the screen and so seed into the ministry. Help us to take this message and the gospel of the kingdom around the world. I trust you've been blessed by today's. Tune in again next week and get the conclusion of this message. God bless you. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.